Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. And one of my favorite reasons for doing these podcasts is I get to talk to amazing, amazing people. And it's even better when those amazing people are also my friends and former work colleagues. So today I get to introduce to you Professor Brent Barrett, and I'll have him introduce himself in just a second. But we're going to focus Digital Voices on this podcast on largely on education. But it's great to have a professor who is actually a hospital CEO. So not only does he know the theory and teach the theory, but he can actually give real-life examples because he walked the talk. And he's also a New York Times bestseller, and hopefully we'll get to fit some of that into our time together. So, DJ Sid, tell, tell me about your favorite professor because you're, you're going to change. After you hear uh, Brett speak, you're going to change and have a new favorite. But tell me who your old favorite professor is. Um, let's see. My old favorite professor as of right now would have to be my high school math teacher, Miss Singh. Um, she was very strict and held her ground, which made me respect her, but she was also more than willing to stay with me after school or come in early whenever I needed help. So I respected her and both appreciated her. Very cool. Well, I know that uh, Professor Barrett is the same way, meets with his students early or late or wherever they want to meet. And so we're going to jump right in. But first, you can't see the audience, but I have in my hand one of my favorite books. So I think about books that shape me. People will say, Ed, what are your favorite books? So in my top 10, I'm going to name just two or three. One is Raving Fans by Ken Blanchard. So that's like an early book I read about service. And so it really helped form who I am about being a servant leader. And then, of course, in graduate school, everyone read back in the 80s In Search of Excellence uh, by Tom Peters. But my favorite book in the last few years, Patience Comes Second. Oh, my gosh, that's heresy. And Professor Barrett actually wrote that book. And so I know we're going to get some time to talk about that. So I'm really thrilled. So I'll give a really high level on Professor Barrett. And then I'm going to let him introduce himself and fill out all of the color on that. Uh, but we first had an opportunity to serve together when we were both executives at Texas Health Resources. I was there first. I remember when Britt came in, like, he took it by storm, leading our, our largest and most influential hospital. And I was like, I love this leader. And, and uh, I just loved his style and the way that he got things done. Again, not a talker, uh, but a doer of things. And so it was amazing what he did uh, when we served together. So, so excited. He has since moved on, as he'll share with you, to be a professor. So, Britt... Welcome to our program, and please uh, fill that. I, I did high level, but fill in the, the pieces there for the audience. You know, thank you, Ed, and it is a delight to reconnect. It's uh, fun to work with people you love, and you love to see innovation, creativity. I remember us sitting around the, that executive table. So you have the president and the chief operating officer, a couple of, such as myself, executive vice presidents and, and chief information officers. And I loved how Ed's mind was always moving. So... If there was a word that I used to describe and Marks would be innovative, creative, um, and it's desperately needed in healthcare. I um, I'm originally from Canada, Vancouver, so I saw a different type of healthcare delivery. Later on in life, I decided that I would try and find myself. So 
I served a mission. I did missionary work in Peru for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I got to see healthcare in a different space. I returned from, from that experience, went to college, and wanted to be part of an effort, a purpose, a meaning. And so I spent the next 25 years in healthcare administration, 20 of those as a hospital president for Texas Health Resources, HCA, Sharp Healthcare. And I watched how this sausage was being made, how we were delivering healthcare. As we were doing that, I was, I was enamored with the idea of building teams. You see, in the healthcare space, we always talk about the patient. What we forget about are the men and women around the space that make the magic happen. And if they're dysfunctional or problematic, or if there's a, a bad player or bad leadership, all efforts to bless the lives of the patient are at naught. So I started researching it. And at the University of Texas at Dallas, in the School of Economics, was intrigued with my, my interest. And I pursued a PhD, a doctorate in healthcare leadership. Uh, my, my theory was the convergence of culture, leadership, and strategic initiatives. And that if you have a vibrant culture, you can achieve strategic objectives. I think the old saying is uh, uh, culture eats strategy every day. Well, Ed, I wrote the most magnificent dissertation known in the history of mankind, and no one <laughs> and no one read it. I gave it to my kids for Christmas. Uh, you know, they, they looked at me and went, oh, you got to be kidding me, Dad. And it was at that time I decided with a friend, Paul Spiegelman, really great leader, that we would write a book that was a little edgy, a little, little fun, um, called Leading Change by Changing How You Lead. Our plea was for healthcare leaders to change how they were leading organizations. And at the last minute, Paul changed the title to Patients Come Second. Uh, overnight, a New York Times bestseller, a USA Today bestseller, a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And we got invited to speak and I got a chance to meet great people such as yourself and others who feel the same passion. I decided to retire and the University of Texas here in Dallas asked me to start an undergraduate program in healthcare leadership and management in the business school, also a graduate program. And I've just been having the time of my life. So that's, uh, that's, that's my thumbnail story. Yeah, no, that's an awesome, awesome journey. And I, I, when I think about my professors in the past, the ones that were always the best were the ones who worked served in the industry that they speak about. And so I imagine, and you're just the funnest person to be around. <laughs> so I imagine your students just, just love you. So I, I'll, maybe I should jump in and, and get another graduate degree or something. <laughs> and, uh, but you'd probably flunk me. You'd probably <laughs> come, do something. come anytime. <laughs> so listen, the other thing we always ask to get to know you a little bit is your favorite band or your favorite song. What kind of music do you like to listen to when you, you know, have some downtime or what have you? Um, okay. So on Sundays, that's my day of rest. I gear up everything. I'm high octane Monday through Saturday, but Sunday I take a big deep breath, no work and, uh, just kind of re reconnect with God. And so the Tabernacle Choir is my favorite Sunday act of uh, music, but Monday through Saturday, it's, it's gotta be the, the greatest band in, in the history of mankind, electric light orchestra or journey <laughs> Or, you know, the list goes on on sticks. I grew up on those. And so they get your blood pumping and you get a lot done listening to that kind of music. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, I can, uh, those bands definitely resonate with my songbook. 
uh, growing up in high school and things. So yeah, good stuff. So what about your life message or, or mantra? Is there sort of words that you live by, like after after we finish this pod or after students have you as a professor? You know, is there some message that you hope that they walk away with? Well, you know, my my calling has been to to prepare the next generation of healthcare leaders. And for me, that has been um, an important effort to prepare them. The healthcare is so complicated. It's $4 trillion. It's 20% of the GDP. Prior to the pandemic, I bet most people didn't know where a hospital was located other than the blue H they would see on the freeway. But other than that, right. you know, if they needed an emergency, they'd scramble to find the closest hospital. Today, we have elevated that awareness and appreciation for the caregivers. And I, I, you know, this is not our last pandemic. We will see many more of these, but I'm seeing a flood of individuals who want to be part of something bigger. The dilemma that we have had in the, in the pandemic has not been the clinical side. The miraculous care has been inspiring. What's really been the challenge has been the administrative functionality. Do we have enough personal protective equipment? Do we have enough ventilators? How about bed capacity? What's the what's the information regarding the spread of this disease, uh, this virus? Uh, it's these are all administrative functionality, telemedicine, the infusion of technology in treatment. All of these things are administrative functionalities. So my my goal in life is to elevate. Uh, the students' awareness and understanding so we can start responding effectively like we've never done before. Yeah, that's that's really key. And as you say, at the end of the day, all, everything rises and falls on leadership. And so that's that's really the key. The You know, you talked a little bit, Britt, about education and some of the programs that you set up. And as you know, this is Digital Voices, and our audience is largely chief digital officers across all of healthcare. So it's not just provider side, like hospitals and practices, but it's also payers, it's also retail, it's also life sciences. And I think people might be curious to know, from an educational perspective, you know, what sort of dialogue are you having with students? What, what's being taught today in terms of digital transformation? And I know, you know, we're talking obviously specific to healthcare. So what sort of concepts or ideas are, are we teaching our, our young leaders? Well, what's nice, Ed, about healthcare, and it's some of the things that I saw you do when you were leading uh, your organizations, you kept on asking yourself, what's being done in other industries? What's being, I mean, I can get into a Chili's restaurant faster than I can see my doctor. You know, why can't we use predictive analytics? Why can't we use big data to look at uh, the scheduling and the the diagnosis. Um, you know, Big Blue did some interesting work on cancer research. And the question was, well, what's the best treatment protocol? Well, you've got oncologists that are well-credentialed and well-versed, well but they don't know what's happening across the world in other areas of research. But today, we gather that data, we accumulate that data, we synthesize that data, and when we make determinations. And I think that's what we're going to need to do into the future. We're going to have to communicate effectively and easily. I remember the, the electronic medical record. I, I, I remember the day 
when my job was to prevent patients from looking at their medical records that were hanging by paper at the foot of their bed. And we go, okay, well, let's, let's put them behind the nursing station. Today, you know, we're talking about integration, iCloud technology. Think of where we can be into the future when an individual is not tied to their medical record, but they own the medical record, they own the information, and they can determine what they do and do not share. I, so we're preparing that next generation to take bits and pieces from other industries and infuse them into the delivery of healthcare. Uh, another good example, and I love clinicians, I love physicians, but years ago, I, I, I said to the, the physicians, I said, you know, there's this new thing, it's called the World Wide Web. And uh, you can actually send messages. Wouldn't it be cool? You know, this is when I'm, I went to Washington University School of Medicine uh, graduate program. And I, and my first job as an assistant administrator was to say to these doctors, how about we have patients in the community send you an email saying, hey, I got this issue. How, what do you think? I got so much pushback from the docs. They said, listen, we're only going to get a bunch of hypochondriacs. I don't have the time. Let me just take my pencil and write orders. Today, you can reach almost anyone anywhere and ask questions. That's an example how how quickly this infusion of technology is. And if you think it's slowing down, not a chance. And the winners are going to be the innovators. They're going to say, what's happening in marketing? What's happening in manufacturing? An area where I think we need to spend a lot of time is what does the consumer want and what does the consumer need? You know, too often it's been, well, I I sell the insurance to the employer. There may be a day when it's not employer-based. There may be a day when that insurance is not offered by the employer. I mean, my employer doesn't give me my car insurance or my house insurance. Why in the world do they give me my health insurance? Well, there might be a day when that flips and I will hold my medical record in my cell phone and I will determine where I go and the treatment I receive. And I'll be financially obligated to it. I mean, see, you got me going, Ed. I I could go on forever. But these are are exciting times. And I think we need innovators in all spaces of the healthcare continuum. Yeah, I I agree with you. And and yeah, looking back, we've made tremendous progress. But like you, I'm always itching to move a lot faster, you know. I, I never we never name names of organizations on our show and so I certainly won't, but even yesterday I was at a fairly progressive healthcare organization and while fifty percent of everything was automated, like I checked in and I paid my bill, they still handed me paper when I walked in and had me fill out my name, my date of birth, and I told them very kindly, I said, you know, I understand why you want some real time data right now, but you know who I am. So why can't you give me a pre-printed form, as an example, with all that information on there, and I'll just sign it if, you know, you can't automate that yet, because I understand it takes a while. But so we've gone a long way, but it's still a pretty frustrating experience from a, you know, patient point of view. So that's why education is so critical in the work that you all do at colleges and universities. So Brent, some, sometimes I get a question about, how do we as, as, let's just say, healthcare organizations, again, whether we're a payer or provider, how do we partner with universities to develop partnerships, whether it's a, a pipeline for future uh, caregivers, whether it's uh, doing some research, whether it's co-development? 
Is there that sort of opportunity? And if yes, how, how might someone that's listening approach that? Well, it, be mindful of the fact that this next generation come from a different perspective than you and I. I teach an introduction to healthcare management class, and you know, I'm talking about the Affordable Health Care Act like it's history. You know, it's 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 so yeah, that passed in 2010, and you know that was you know right. most of our kids were in you know grade school at that time. However, when I asked them to use social media for class participation, boom, 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 they've got it figured out. And so what we've been doing is we're requiring all students to have an internship and do job shadowing and interface, join uh, professional organizations. I'd ask industry leaders to welcome that. Bring a young talent in. Let them shadow you for a day. Sponsor an intern and listen to them. When I was an intern years ago, you know, my, my job was, you know, making copies and, and preparing the coffee. What I would have cherished if someone had asked me, hey, where are you coming to my office? I just got to tell me a little bit about yourself and what are the things you look at and are interested in. One of the great experiences I've had teaching in the university is these kids are bright. They're very engaging. They ask very intriguing questions and you got to listen to them. So I'd encourage you know the listeners to reach out to local universities. Uh, job shadowing is a perfect example. I remember a young kid, I was at Brigham Young University, and I sat in front of a group of 80 students, and I was giving an executive lecture series about healthcare. And I said to him, hey, if any of you want to see how hospitals run, call me. Come visit me in Texas. A kid by the name of Ben Smalley called me up and says, I got, uh, I got free fly, frequent flyer miles on Southwest Airline, uh, and I'm going to stay at a hotel. I said, no, come stay with me. So I picked him up to the airport. Had him stay in our home, toured the hospital, spent the day attending meetings, put him in a taxi, sent him back to the airport. I mean, remember those days, Ed, when we didn't have yeah. two nickels to run together? Today, Ben Smalley's a CEO of a, in a major healthcare integrated delivery system. And it's about one of the small efforts that you and I as seasoned executives can exert. Job shadowing, yeah. internships, professional organizations of participation, I think that... That's an important role that we all can play. Yeah, we we took advantage of that when we served together. We had uh, some interns from uh, University of Texas Dallas, as well as some of the other local universities, and it really helps infuse. Uh, it helps culturally too, right? Because now not everyone has the same background and pedigree. Like we've all been in healthcare for twenty years and sort of operating, you know, at a certain level, and we don't really remember what it's like, you know. Uh, to be earlier in our career. And so having this fusion of both really makes for the best sort of teams. I had one student so, that uh, yeah. she was an intern and she saw an anomaly in billing. She's working with one of the large fiscal intermediaries and she just was curious. She said, hey, um, why are these bills so high in this New York location in comparison to our other locations? Sure enough, she found a multi-million dollar fraudulent uh, uh, provider. So encourage the curiosity and the questions. Right. Welcome them because sometimes there's a lot under that rock they overturn. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about Patients Come Second. So okay. again, one of the most influential books for me, and I remember when it first came out, everyone was talking about it in healthcare. And 
can you talk a little bit about sort of the, the thesis of that book and, and what you meant by patients come second? Well, when I wrote the dissertation, it was quantitatively affirmed and you go through for a, a committee and they, they hit you with all sorts of questions. It was uh, essentially, you know, my life's work on affirming that leadership does matter, but no one read it, right? So we wrote the book in 10 easy chapters, silly things like, you know, find your purpose in life, right? Celebrate. The one chapter that probably has received the most attention is no whiners, no losers, no jerks. And our, our statement was, you can't put up with the bad apples. So we wrote it in a fun and engaging way, but 10 tenets to build your culture. I, I mean, how do you build a culture? How do you engage? One of the things that uh, we found was great organizations engage in the community. They get involved in the community, not by just a T-shirt or a charitable right. donation, but they actually become part of the fabric. I, when I was with uh, a hospital here in Dallas, we, uh, we went to a local women's shelter for domestic violence. And we said, how can we help? They said, well, we need funds to raise. And so we started raising funds department by department. Guess which department raised the most funds and was the most adamant? It was my chief engineer and the engineering department, all the maintenance worker. They had all sorts of events to raise funds because it really spoke to their heart. And so the book has these 10 tenets. Now, there's research behind it. I've also was a regent for the American College of Healthcare executives for six years. So I interviewed executives all across the United States. And I'd ask questions. you got a great culture. What are the keys? Well, we celebrate our successes. We affirm our goals. We, you know, we, we enjoy the community in which we live and we invest in the community. So those 10 chapters have been wonderful. Now, the great thing about this experience for me has been I'm really getting to meet some amazing people. This pandemic's been hard on, on us all, and it's exhausting. But what we're finding is organizations that focus on culture are emerging stronger and more capable. Organizations that have, have had weak cultures are retracting and retrenching and, mm. and, and, and not growing. And they eventually will either disappear or they will merge with another bigger organization with a stronger yeah more vibrant culture. So that's what the book is. And I, I've been speaking all over uh, the United States. I went to Saudi Arabia, spent a week in, in, uh, in uh, Jeddah. I was in South Korea at the hospital association. I spoke there. It's just been inspiring to see men and women such as yourself who get it, who want to have that dialogue, want to engage in the conversation. Yeah. And as you pointed out, a lot of it's basic, but we forget the basics for whatever reason we get overly focused on other things. And without the basics in place, then things really start spiraling out of control. The one, as you mentioned, the chapter that pr probably got the most attention because it, it's not necessarily a basic thing, uh, but it's just to take decisive action when it comes to your teams. Get, don't, don't tolerate the whiners. And, and you were good at that. What was the award? You used to hand out an award every week or so. I'm trying to remember the name of it. But, uh... Okay, so we were talking about rewards, and I thought, I need something funny. So I was in a, in a store, and they had all these plush toys, and there was a carrot. And I thought, aha, the Barrett carrot. And so we would get in front of all the managers and directors, and I would have three of these carrots. I bought a whole case of them. 
and I would <laughs> I would say, I want to thank so and so. I'll tell you, Ed. One of the most uh, touching experience was uh, payroll. We invited the three payroll clerks. You know, it was a nine hundred bed hospital, almost a billion dollars in revenue, and uh, payroll plays an important role, right? They're very important. Sure, sure. Never appreciated and let, never noticed in some, until something happens. Well, we invited the three payroll clerks to our leadership meeting. I got in front of everyone and I said, listen, you have no idea the work that's being done behind the scenes by these magnificent women. Now, they had all shown up, had no idea why. They were coming to a leadership meeting, so they all dressed up and they broke into tears. And everyone yeah. gave them a standing ovation. We gave them a Barrett carrot. Um, if you ever talk to anyone that I've worked with, uh, and they have a Barrett carrot. Uh, I've seen pictures on people's shelves, you know, decades later. Yeah. It kind of warms my heart. But uh, yeah, that, the Barrett carrot. Yeah, and you, but you also had another award that was sort of the opposite. I, I think you might have given it to me one time. Uh, uh, does that ring a bell at all, Fred? I'm struggling to remember exactly what it was, but it was uh, uh, something that would be the opposite of a Barrett carrot, maybe. <laughs> We we did, and, then, and yet I can't even imagine ever doing that. We had uh, something called Breakfast with Brit. Now, yeah. I, I don't think you, you participated in that. But, you know, that's not a family reunion. You know, we talk about culture, and we act like, you know, it's all fun and games. No, we have a mission and a vision, and we have purpose. Yeah. And so I would give up my team members homework. I'd give them assignments. And then if they didn't fill – one of those things is – annual evaluations. It's a joint commission requirement. And many times it was the last thing we would do. And so we had a, you know, a, a drop dead date. And if you didn't do it, uh, you had breakfast with Brit and there was no breakfast <laughs> and it wasn't so fun. And I would ask a fundamental question, help me understand why you can't fulfill this responsibility. This is why it's yeah. so important. Breakfast with Brit. No, I love it. Look, this has been uh, an, an amazing conversation. I, I, we could talk for hours. Uh, you just exude uh, compassion, empathy, and leadership. And I'm so excited that you're a professor because you have so much influence now on the upcoming leaders that will be leading our health systems in the future. And so you've done an amazing job with existing health leaders and the state of healthcare today. Uh, and through your books and through your leadership, you know, as a CEO of these hospitals and health systems, uh, but now as a professor, and I, okay. that makes me feel really good about the future. So I always give you give the last word, especially to a professor. Britt, is there anything that uh, we didn't cover that you'd like to share, or maybe something that we covered and you wanted to reinforce? Well, and, and thank you, Ed, and it's been, just been fun to catch up again. Uh, and thank you for the invitation. One thing I would suggest for the listeners is to find your purpose. I recall when I was an undergraduate, I was trying to figure out what what I was supposed to do in life. And so that's why, you know, I did missionary work and it really kind of uh, planted my foundation. And then I asked myself at every job, what, what is the great creator asking me to do? And so when I retired from hospital administration, everyone's, Oh, you'll be back. Oh, you know, you're just taking a big deep breath. And I said, no, I feel this is a calling to prepare the next generation. And so I think yeah. each of us in the healthcare space, yourself included. You know, it's clear you have purpose and meaning and that gets you up in the morning and it helps you work yeah. hard. And I think it's, it's a worthy exploration through prayer and thought and, and consideration. Why am I here? What am I, where am I going? Uh, what gifts can I give? 
And I think if our listeners really focus on that and don't dismiss that question lightly, but then intentionally, purposefully, doors open, doors, opportunities present themselves. And there's such a fulfilling sense of a purpose behind it uh, that it keeps you going through the tough times. So that's my my last word of advice. Love it. That's why to my audience, you can see why we have uh, Professor Barrett with us. Just fascinating to get a chance. Go take his course at University of Texas, Dallas. Thank you. Both graduate graduate level and undergrad. And I, you'll, you'll love the, the opportunity to, to learn from him and all the leadership that he espouses. So thanks, everyone. Good having you. And we'll talk to you soon. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff. And we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.